This is Beat the Closing Line with Nicole, Mo, and Eli. Hey everyone, welcome back to Beat the Closing Line. I am your host, Nicole Russo, alongside a resident NFL analyst for thelines.com, Eli Hershkovich and Mo Nawara. As you know, every Tuesday we're taking a look at some opening lines for NFL games and deciding how we think these lines are going to move as we inch closer to game time and what bets we like early on in the week. And on Thursday, we're going to be back with a special episode. It's going to be the three of us talking a little MLB. So if you are excited about the MLB postseason, make sure you tune back in on Thursday. As always, if you want to bet any of the games that we discuss here today and you need to still sign up for a sportsbook account, take a look at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen because that is all of the best sportsbook sign-up offers that we have to offer with all of our partners. And make sure you give this video a thumbs up, like it, and subscribe so you know every time we post on YouTube. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Beat the Closing Line podcast and give us a five-star review for your chance to win an Amazon gift card. Now, the guys have done pretty well this season so far. They are 13-4 and with their against the spread picks on the podcast. But before we get into this upcoming week's wagers, let's recap how you guys did last week. Eli, kick us off. Yeah. So first I want to say that I am essentially forcing Mo to come on the podcast with us on Thursday. Uh, he was kind of not into it initially, but he is one of the best baseball minds out there. I follow college basketball very closely. Mo does the same exact thing with baseball. So really excited for the podcast on Thursday. But Five and two week for me overall. Hit with the Bengals live on Thursday Night Football. Vikings minus two and a half by a hair against the Saints. Ravens plus three and a half if you got the early number. If you listened to beat the closing line last week, if you subscribe to our Discord channel when we log all of our bets at the exact time we place them, or you pushed on Ravens plus three, which isn't the worst thing either. At least they they didn't lose against the spread. And then Colts second half for me came throughout the Titans. I mean, maybe they should have lost outright. We'll get into Tennessee later on. Titans probably should have covered, but Colts were, you know, lost their fair share of opportunities, three turnovers in that game. 49ers minus one and a half last night. I think they closed minus two at some shops, but San Francisco came through with a double digit win against the Rams. And then my two losses, I keep betting on Washington and they, well, actually, in week one, they did come through for us, Mo. They did come through against the Jags, but they lost uh, by, by yes, by double digits against the Cowboys uh, in week four. And then Bucks live for me, Bucks live plus seven in the first half did not do too well. But five and two week overall, good week for me, Nicole. And Mo, did you have uh, just as much uh, luck as Eli? I think like 50-50 for me, but did well overall because... Large plays on Seahawks and Titans. Those were by far my two favorite bets. So I went much bigger on those. Uh, had a little money line on both of them as well. So, um, yeah, several losers like got punished on uh, Dolphins, Commanders, and unfortunately had the Rams. Didn't listen to Eli. Oops. Yikes. Love you, though. All right, let's let's forget the past. Some of us had better weeks than others. <laughs> let's look forward to the future. We are going to start off with Eli's bet, and we are taking a look at the Browns this week. So the Cleveland Browns are going to face the Los Angeles Chargers at home this weekend. This is essentially a battle of two 
underperforming teams, both dealing with some key injuries on defense. Now, the Browns are currently three-point underdogs at home, but Eli, you like the Browns here. Tell us a little bit more about this one. This line initially on the look-ahead line was Chargers minus one and a half, and there are some thoughts out there in the betting space where the Chargers are still undervalued in the market. Maybe if this gets down to two and a half, you can make that case. I would stay away from that number because I like Cleveland at, at plus three. But with this line jumping up a point and a half, I don't know if you could say that the Chargers are undervalued still in the betting market. Uh, Cleveland failed to to cover at the Chargers last season, just going back to their last matchup. That was obviously with Baker Mayfield and a, probably a more efficient Browns offense overall, even though they're still running the ball at a very efficient rate. But if you go back to the Falcons game last week for Cleveland, their biggest issue was stopping the run. Uh, the Falcons were one of the most efficient teams in terms of expected points added per carry on the ground, but the Browns were extremely banged up up front. No Miles Garrett, who got into the car accident a week ago. Jadavian Clowney also out. Tevin Bryant, another defensive lineman, out too. And then Anthony Walker, uh, one of their linebackers who's pretty good against the run and just one of the better overall linebackers in the league is out for the season. So negate that because he can't come back against the Chargers this week. But the Browns should be able to get Jadavian Clowney back. That's the consensus. And then Miles Garrett, probably a a 50-50, maybe a little towards not suiting up. But you still have a chance to get two of the best defensive linemen in terms of rushing the passer and then pretty sound in their own right against stopping the run back against the Chargers this week. And comparing the two uh, teams to opponents that the Browns faced in week four and then here in week five, Chargers are a pass-heavy offense. We saw it going back to last season and then even last week against the Texans in that win and, and cover, even though the Texans made a bit of a run in the second half. Chargers still ran a pass-heavy attack, even with a positive game script. So the Browns are going to be able to have to rush the passer because Chargers, again, want to attack downfield. This Browns secondary is middle of the pack in pretty much almost every passing metric. And then I don't know how much you could take into account last week, even though the Falcons were inefficient through the air because they did dominate them on the ground and they were run heavy in their game plan. But I do think the the Browns are going to be able to get after Herbert here because, again, you're likely going to get Clowney back, hopefully Garrett, and Rashawn Slater, one of the better pass protectors at left tackle. Again, Herbert's blind side is out for this game and and for the foreseeable future. So it's tough to say that Cleveland's going to be able to make Herbert inefficient through the air because, again, this secondary is vulnerable. But if they can get after him, and especially if Garrett is able to suit up, Cleveland's defense will be in an okay position. And then on the flip side of the ball here, Chargers run defense going back to last season, so this isn't just a small sample size, is bottom five against the run in expected points added. So pretty poor in terms of limiting the opposing team on the ground like the Browns were defensively last week. And this is one of the best rushing schemes in the NFL under uh, Stefanski in terms of his ability with that zone rushing scheme that he's carried over now in his three or four years, I want to say, as Browns head coach. And this Browns offensive line is healthy now in consecutive weeks. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, one of the best running back combos in the NFL. So I I think Cleveland's going to be able to milk the clock here a bit, which is important as an underdog 
especially against a team that runs an up-tempo offense in the Chargers. If Cleveland's able to sustain that and, and not have to go to a negative game script, even though Brissett's been actually okay this season, and I do trust him in this spot, I think they're going to be uh, able to keep the ball out of Herbert's hands. So I like the Browns at plus three. think they have a shot to win this game outright, obviously. And then one more point I want to make, too, about the Chargers' run defense. Joey Bosa is out for this game. And again, for the foreseeable future, like Slater, one of the best pass rushers in the league, but he's also pretty stout against the run. So an important note uh, against a run-heavy offense like Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, the Chargers are coming off of a win last weekend, but it was against Houston, so you can't really put too much trust in the win. But what was big for me to see was that Justin Herbert's injuries weren't really seeming like they were impacting him too much in this game. Um, you know, for me, it's hard to take the Browns here if they don't get Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney back. Like you said, Jadavian Clowney might suit up. Miles Garrett's probably a 50-50 proposition at this point. If they do get those two players back, I think this number or even one comes down for the Chargers and I would take them under a field goal. The Chargers also could get Keenan Keenan Allen back here in the receiving core. So for me, I'm going to wait a little bit on this one to see how the number moves, but that's how I think it's going to move depending on which key players are suiting up in this game. Mo, what do you like here? Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you. Uh, I took a little bit on Browns. uh, Just... Because I do think this line is definitely too high uh, if they get their defenders back. But yeah, Chargers have some some issues, potential injuries on on both sides of the ball uh, as well. I, I do I do like the Browns at, at three. I, I agreed with the look ahead. I thought the look ahead was a better number than this one. That being said, you know if the Browns defenders are out and if Keenan Allen comes back then I guess this line kind of makes sense. Um, so I kept it a little smaller here. Uh, you know, if they can't if they can't rush the passer, it's not going to go well. I mean, Justin Herbert from a clean pocket, you don't want to let him stand back there and just pick you apart. I just, I do like the Browns, though. It is a good matchup for them. They should be able to run the ball a bunch here. I mean, the Chargers still can't stop the run, like Eli was saying, and, and the Browns, What's interesting is just how how they've been playing this year. I mean, just an overs machine. I kind of like the over here, honestly. Could see it coming in either way, whether whether the Browns guys come back or not. Um, The Browns Browns have had a solid offense so far. Uh, They're moving the ball uh, pretty well in all their games, but the defense has kind of stunk. It was better against the Falcons this week, but... Just a lot of stuff went wrong, and then they they allowed a couple long runs, but they they clamped down pretty hard on the their passing offense. So uh, some signs of life there. I mean, on paper, this is a very good uh, pass defense. I do really like the potential matchup here of having a uh, Jeremiah Osukaramoa. I think uh, is is how you pronounce that one. Uh, their ace coverage linebacker for the Browns. He's going to be really important in this game because. The Chargers have really been kind of a dump-off machine so far. I mean, a couple touchdowns passing for Eckler last week. And, yeah, if if he can limit Eckler and kind of make Herbert throw a little more downfield, which just does not seem to be, for some reason, what the Chargers are doing. I don't know why. Maybe it has to do with the injury. But, yeah, they've been really checking down a lot so far this year. And if he can really limit, like, run after the catch opportunities there, I think that's pretty big for the Browns. And, and he is very, very good in coverage. 
Next up, we have the Miami Dolphins, which have been in the news quite a bit. They are coming off of a disappointing loss against Cincinnati, where it looked like Tua suffered what many thought was his second consecutive concussion within a week. Um, The team has said that he was fine. He was cleared to fly back um, to Miami with the team. However, Teddy Bridgewater is now going to suit up for the Dolphins in week five against Zach Wilson and the Jets and Tua will be on the sidelines. Now, the Jets are coming off of a win against my Pittsburgh Steelers. Very disappointing for me, but I won't go on my soapbox there. Uh, That being said, the Dolphins with Teddy are still the favorites here. Mo, you like Miami at minus three, so give us some insight on this one yeah so once again going back to the look ahead lines we had a six and a six and a half here and now we're looking at Dolphins minus three I know that Tua went down and isn't going to play in this game but I think any sort of downgrade here is kind of ridiculous of the Dolphins to be honest I mean yeah they had a bad performance last week generally but I mean it was a really tough spot for them you know Short week, um, Tua was hobbled, and then he got hurt, obviously, in the game. Um, They were coming off a huge win. I'm willing to just, like, write that one off, basically. And and now they get extra time to prepare and extra time to prepare uh, their new quarterback, which is nice uh, when you're breaking in, especially a a quarterback who wasn't on the team last year, you know. And then, I mean – what is really the difference between Tua and Teddy Bridgewater? I, I don't think there's any way it's three points. I, I don't even know if there is a difference, to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I would, somebody's going to have to tell me why this line moved three, three and a half points. I think the Jets are still quite bad. They have a very bad quarterback. Zach Wilson was probably the worst quarterback in the league last year. Um, basically ranked last in every metric you could find. And and then he threw two more picks against the Steelers. I mean, I just don't see any reason to be optimistic about the Jets, really. And then they're facing a quarterback who's honestly just always been underrated. I, I just, everyone knows his nickname, Teddy Covers, because the market has never really properly valued Teddy Bridgewater. He's a solid quarterback. Like, he's not going to win you a bunch of games by himself, but he's definitely not going to go torch it out there and, and just hand the game to the other team, which I think is in, in play on the other side. I know the Dolphins haven't been uh, great so far on defense, but they, outside of a couple big plays, you know, they were doing fine uh, against Cincy. They just allowed a couple bombs. And uh, yeah, I, I don't trust Zach Wilson to do anything like that, to be honest. So uh, it looks like a good buy low sell high as crazy as that sounds when you're talking about the jets but uh i mean they did just come off of a road win and and, and the dolphins uh lost on national tv and lost their quarterback which i don't think matters here yeah the jets are coming off of the road win against the steelers also kind of a wonky game they pull mitch trubisky halfway through they put Pickett in who really didn't have any reps i mean he seemed to energize the team a little bit but i kind of agree with you here on zach wilson he was just so inconsistent he had some really great plays and also made some really dumb decisions out on the field that led to two interceptions throws that he probably should have never made but what does scare me here a little bit with the dolphins is it's looking like they're going to be without z 
Xavier Howard. And that means you have young corners defending these Jets receivers. And I'm just not sure that the Dolphins front seven will be able to put constant pressure on Zach Wilson to make up for that loss and force him to make those bad throws. So for me, this is a little bit of a tough one here, knowing that the Dolphins might be out to a and one of their primary defensive players. So for me, I'm just a little bit on the fence. Eli, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, and to your point, Howard came into that Bengals game last week questionable, and then um, Zach Taylor, even though he ran a pretty poor game plan overall, um, Mo mentioned that the Dolphins probably should have covered if if Tua didn't get hurt. You throw Teddy in the mix, even though I I agree with Tumo's point that there isn't much of a drop-off, but Zach Taylor nearly cost the Bengals an outright win against the Dolphins, even with uh, Teddy coming in, in late in the first half. But one trend I want to throw out there, and you guys know I'm not a trends person, but this when I do throw out a trend, it's more about the market rating of a said player or team at a given situation rather than, okay, back this meaningless record against the spread. Teddy Bridgewater on the road as a starting quarterback is 24-6 and six against the spread. And to most point, the look at a line dropping from Dolphins minus six to Dolphins minus three. You can make the case that the minus six was overvalued to an extent, but uh, a three-point move, is that justified? Because Teddy Bridgewater, who is an experienced quarterback and can and was, was efficient last week besides the interception uh, late in that second half where the Dolphins were driving uh, to potentially cover and win outright. I'm with Mo. That against the spread record says more to Teddy's ability and also the market undervaluing Teddy Bridgewater, especially in these situations where he's replacing a quote-unquote above-average quarterback, where we saw it in the first half last week before Tua went down. Granted, he had the quote-unquote back issues and concussion, but he's still under-throwing uh, a lot of balls. So I am, I'm not there yet with Tua, and I agree with Mo. I don't know if I'm going to bet the Dolphins, but I think minus three is the right side here. And now it's time to take a little bit of a break from football as we enter our WTF segment. What the f***? And this one's kind of fun because we're going to be touching on two topics that we have previously touched on before. And number one is that Eli does never never gets to complain about a farm wedding again because this weekend I attended my best friend's wedding. It was a blast. I wouldn't change it for the world. And it was such a cool cultural experience. We got to do both a traditional African wedding and their church ceremony. However, I will say it was a four day wedding weekend and I missed Thursday night football. I missed my Trojans on Saturday. I missed all of Sunday afternoon football. So, I mean, really, I made the ultimate sacrifice as a best friend and you never get to complain about sitting on a bale of hay for one Saturday ever again after I put up a four day wedding weekend. Yeah, I give you credit for that because I there's zero shot I could do that during the NFL season on top of college basketball season now coming up here in a month. College basketball season is almost a month away, which is insane to think about. I have a, a wedding coming up where I haven't bought my suit yet. So if I was in your position, a four-day wedding weekend, and I don't have two suits, let alone one suit, I, I think I'd be in trouble. It was a good time. It was a good time. I would, like I said, wouldn't trade it for the world, but I did just have to give you a hard time that I put up four days to your one. But this is going to be a fun one too, because I'm keeping the guys up to date with our, our neighborhood chat. 
And I think you probably all remember the vegan. We had some very um, hot takes on my neighborhood vegan that was asking people to not barbecue outside because he found the smells offensive when he went on his night runs. Well, now the neighborhood is responding and they are trolling this man hard. And I thought this one was a little funny, so I will read it to you guys. But it says, hi, everyone. I know it's nice out, but can everyone please close your windows when watching the house of when watching House of Dragons as a non HBO Max subscriber. It's always hard for me this time of year when the weather gets nice. On Sunday nights, I'm out running around 9 p.m. when people have their own windows open and I can see what they are watching. And I have noticed a sharp uptick recently in HBO Max subscriptions and folks watching House of Dragon and the spoilers can be quite overpowering. Quite honestly, the spoilers are offensive and I'm hoping our community can have some empathy for it's the best part. Hashtag Paramount Plus subscribers by closing their windows if they're are watching HBO <laughs> and only putting on Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power on the TV because everyone is already losing interest in it anyways. I don't want to be a stereotype, so I won't go into detail, detail, detail. And they go on into detail and give spoilers. I won't do that to you here because I am personally four episodes behind. But I got to say, I've never been more proud of my neighborhood for trolling the vegan. What was the hashtag that that vegan used on in that in that first text thread in in the group chat, I forget what it was, but it was ridiculous. hashtag plant based. Hashtag plant based. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I anytime someone uh, uses a hashtag in a in a neighborhood text thread, let alone hashtag plant based, they deserve to be trolled. I don't have the poster's name, but yes, I was at the at, when the vegan posted in the community chat. I had considered moving because I felt like this was this I couldn't possibly be part of this neighborhood anymore. But to see the response that people and this is there's been multiple posts like this. I feel like I can safely say in this community these are these are my people now. I got invited to a uh, Facebook group for my entire neighborhood, not just like my condo building, um, but never joined it. I will say I was very hesitant to join it. And then I did it for the for specifically for our content purposes. And while there's a lot of really crappy information in there, there's also a lot of really good information in there about like what restaurants are getting built down the street. I don't know how these people know it before everyone else seems to know. These people go in and pull building permits from the state. They go into the public records and they're like, this is a good sign that, you know, so-and-so is going to be built there. It looks like they're targeting 2023, 2024. I mean, they're dedicated. So I will say, like, if you've got like some commercial buildings going up and you're like, oh, I wonder if that's going to be a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts, just go on the neighborhood chat because somehow, some way these people figure it out. That's that's crazy. I, I was actually thinking about this like have I ever had something odd happen in my apartment building when you were going through that there was this a pet watcher like a, a couple that was trying to watch people's pets to make some money on the side they I think they left an envelope for everybody on our floor so they list you know the cat the dog the obvious things that you know people would need to be watched when they go on vacation and then the last thing on the list was a goldfish like if you need somebody to watch your goldfish, if you're an adult and you have a, a goldfish, even if you're a, like I, I had a goldfish when I was a kid and it was because my mom didn't want to have a, a dog or a cat in the house. But thinking back on it, who, who, like what parent, if I, if, if I'm 35, 40 years old, let's say I have kids at that point, And I, I say to my kid, Hey, do you want a goldfish? Like I, I, I probably shouldn't be a parent. What, 
What parent should get their kid a goldfish? It's the dumbest. It's the dumbest pet, quote unquote pet. That I that I, when you think about it, uh, I just I I hate it now. I absolutely hate the idea. Here's Nobody the thing, should be watching a goldfish. Like you take your kid to the fair or the carnival and they like throw a ping pong ball in some bowl. And then like the, the, the guy gives them a goldfish and now like you, you, you can't say no to the kid. And now you have this animal. That's like the worst thing to take care of. Cause first of all, they're so slimy and you have to, you have to change out the water and feed it the flakes and the flakes smell. But like now your kids attached to it. And it's like, sometimes I just feel like these things get thrust upon you. I have, I also have a friend which we give her crap for it all the time, but has given a small pet as a birthday gift, which I would kill that person if they did that. But she gave our friend, the one that got married, a hamster for her 18th birthday. And like, that's a, that's a commitment. And so sometimes you don't know, like maybe one of these aunts and uncles, they're trying to be the cool aunt and uncle and they give your kid a fish and then you're stuck and you can't say no. And you're like hoping it croaks, but it just is like you get, then you get that goldfish that lasts for like 10 years and beats all odds because you don't want it. It's just there to spite you. You sound like you have a lot of history with goldfish (laughs) per per your stories. My goldfish actually committed suicide. Thinking back on this even more, it was, I had a cat that down the road and a goldfish. So my mom gave in for the cat. It was, it was lying on the floor. So clearly it committed suicide. So it wasn't happy with its life. Yeah, there was there's something wrong with goldfish. Mo, any any dumb animal stories on your end before <laughs> Nicole and I go off the rails? No, no. I I got nothing to add here. He Let just me just tell you, we, we are animal people. The three of us do have dogs and we treat them like absolute kings and queens um so like don't think that we're like i don't want PETA coming after us like we already have the vegan community very upset with us and now we're gonna have PETA. like we take very good care of our dogs um i just i'm not personally a fish person they're very slimy and they gross me out i mean who gets the going back to the hamster i know we want to get back to the games and mo is probably going to jump off the podcast if we don't but who gets, Mo's joining like, PETA who as we speak yeah, he's signing up. Who gives a hamster as a birthday gift? Like, since when is that a good idea to put that commitment on somebody? I mean, so she stupid. was, we were 18 and she just thought it would be fun. Like, honestly, I actually don't even think we were 18 because the, the story was she wanted to give an animal and she legally wasn't even um, old enough at the time she was 17 to purchase the animal. So she had to get one of our 18 year old classmates to go to PetSmart with her to purchase the hamster. Because if you didn't know, I believe the legal age to purchase a hamster is 18 years old. So she had to get somebody to, to purchase it for her and gave it. And the mom, I will tell you, my friend's mom was not very happy. She grew to love the hamster. Um, but at the time, not very happy. And I told her going forward, that is absolutely not an appropriate gift. And if I do have children in the future, it will absolutely not be accepted in my household. Yeah. The, the qualifications to be a parent should be never get your kid a hamster (laughs) or a goldfish. That's, that's the bottom line. But before again, Mo decides to exit out of this um, podcast application, let's get back to football. We'll get back to football. You're listening to the lines.com podcast network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sportsbooks all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. 
Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Stephen Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. And get to our third game of the day. Thanks, everyone, for going on that uh, that soapbox here with us. But all right, Mo, back to you. We're taking a look at the Vikings. They are traveling back across the pond after a close victory against the New Orleans Saints in London. It came down to the wire, but the Saints' late field goal attempt to tie the game bounced off the crossbar, and it took the Vikings to 3-1 and one this season. They are now touchdown favorites against the Bears. That's what they opened as. And, Mo, you like them to cover here, so let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I got a very good number. I went ahead and fired the look at This is the nice thing about writing the look-ahead article every week is it <laughs> makes me look at the look-aheads. And I got some uh, Vikings minus 6.5 last week. I still think minus seven is perfectly fine to play. The only thing that remotely worries me about this game really is is the Vikings coming back from London. Um, they didn't take the bye. I don't... I, I mean, it's up to the team, whatever. I guess that this is like a bad thing for them this week, though. That being said, though, the Bears are really, really bad. I mean... I had them 32nd, I'm pretty sure, in my power ranking. When it's close, and I'm looking at some of these closer teams, my tiebreaker is just always going to be passing offense. And I really want to swear right now, but, man, I will just say, whatever, man, the Bears have the worst passing offense it's even, like, possible to have in 2022. I mean, this offense is, like, straight out of 1960. I mean, this is insane i didn't even know this was possible anymore like they're averaging like 98 passing yards a game i think that's net so but still i mean that's just like beyond anything the sack rate 20 percent. let me uh put that into a little bit of context the 49ers have the best sack rate in the nfl they're like just over 10 percent. so that's like how far off the charts bad this bears passing offense is they kind of got Darnell Mooney going this week, but anything besides the Darnell Mooney bombs is like not even remotely worrisome in this game because I do think he has a good matchup against the Vikings corners. They're not good. They're not fast. More importantly, Mooney is very fast. But other than that, man, I just, this, this, we saw Andy Dalton get, I don't remember what it was like, 7.8 yards per attempt, something like that. I mean, that is just like unreasonable, honestly, w- without Michael Thomas. But it's just a weakness that I don't see the Bears taking advantage of here. So on the other side of the ball, you have a Bears team that can't protect its passer at all. The Vikings actually do have a pretty good pass rush. I, I just, man, I, I don't know how the Bears are gonna going to stay in this. In a negative script, you have a bad passing offense in a negative script in, in a hostile environment. It just seems like a really a combination of things that we could see the Vikings just bury them here. The Bears' run defense is also atrocious. So, I mean, 
even if the Vikings are killing the clock, I could see Dalvin Cook ripping off some long runs here. I, I couldn't even believe last week how bad the Bears' defense looked against the Giants. I mean, at the end of that game, I was watching it. They had they had basically just Wildcat in. They had Daniel Jones lined up a receiver. They couldn't even run a, a real NFL offense, and they were still getting yards against the Bears. I think the Bears are just like unbelievably bad, and the market is not treating them that way at all. So I have some questions for sure about the Vikings, but I really think they should run away with this one. Also, guys, if you want to take a look at Mo's articles for those uh, look-ahead lines, make sure you're going over to thelines.com. He is writing them every week. But that being said, I'm here with you, Mo, because it is hard to put a lot of faith in a team that couldn't put up a single touchdown in the week prior and still put up their second-best passing performance of the season, and that would be the Bears. Now, I'm not saying the Vikings have made any of their wins easy on themselves in the last few weeks, but Justin Fields and the Bears have basically giving a, given us nothing to be excited about. Minnesota's top 10 in passing attempts per game, which exploits a big Bears weakness on defense. And with this being an NFC North rivalry game, I do think up the Vikings I do think the Vikings put up big numbers here, so I'm with you on this one. I, I actually like them at minus seven. What about you, Eli? Yeah. yeah, and to your point, Nicole, this bear secondary is very young and inexperienced. So as much as I got lucky, because I do think I did get lucky in that Saints game, Kevin O'Connell coached a really poor game. I was ready to say poor before coached, but regardless, he was he was bad um, in the Saints game. And at Donatel's zone, you mentioned Andy Dalton's success, Mo, against the Donatel zone defense. There was a play where Patrick Peterson was, because again, you're covering the, the area, but you're not you're not necessarily trailing the receiver when you're play, playing zone. That's kind of your side of the ball to protect. And Peterson thought he had safety help over the top. Harrison Smith didn't rotate over quickly enough or even alertly enough. And then Olave gets a catch down the sideline. Olave had a, a really nice game with Michael Thomas out. Looked like a potential number one receiver down the road. But yeah, I came away with more questions. And granted, they didn't make it easy for themselves against the Lions, to Nicole's point, in that four-point win. They needed to come back in the fourth quarter. I just have a lot of issues with this Vikings coaching staff right now. And we we see the potential problems in terms of the trail that O'Connell came from and Sean McVay and I know that the Rams offensive line was beaten up against the 49ers but looking back and on the Super Bowl run for the Rams last season and just looking at this current state of the Rams right now and how lucky the Rams got going back to the NFC championship game with Tart dropping the interception the Bengals also got lucky on their run so taking that into account I don't know if we should have been as high as O'Connell. Granted, he did replace Zimmer, but still, he comes from the coaching tree of McVay, where McVay seemingly, where people rank Sean McVay among the best coaches in the NFL. It might be a little overstated at this point, considering the the run that the Rams went on and the breaks they got during their Super Bowl championship run last season. So, with all that being said, even though it's around the key number seven and currently at the key number of seven. It's Vikings are passed just because it's hard to say that Justin Field is, is going to be able to break down Ed Donatel's zone. It's just I have a hard time trusting Minnesota and especially their staff right now, even against a, a bad, arguably the worst team in the NFL, Bears team. <laughs> 
All right, guys, and now it's time to take it into our fourth and final game of the day, and we are taking a look at the Commanders. So now the Commanders have dropped three straight games since winning in week one, and now they go on to face the Tennessee Titans. They were about plus two and a half at most sportsbooks. Eli, you were waiting to see if this number got to plus three, so give us a little more insight into that and how you felt this line was going to move. We keep mentioning the look at line because it's really important to take into account where the market's going and maybe a, uh, a line being inflated or underinflated, depending on how you're looking at it. And the Titans were favored in some spots on the look at line by a point or it was a pick em at other sports books. And if you're buying Tennessee right now, I think you're kind of buying them at the premium price because you go back to the Raiders game two weeks ago and how inefficient Las Vegas was in the red zone. You can blame Josh McDaniels for that. We talk about coaching staffs on this podcast a lot and how we might downgrade them and upgrade them. McDaniels almost cost the Raiders a, a win against the Broncos going back to, to week four. But going back to this game and where Tennessee sits right now, the Titans got a ton of breaks in that Colts game. Three turnovers for Indianapolis. I mentioned that earlier. One in, in plus territory or gave the ball to the Titans in plus territory. They were outgained in yards per play by almost a yard. I know that the Colts were in comeback mode in the second half, but when the Titans can't get Derrick Henry going, it's tough to trust Ryan Tannehill and this passing attack. And now Traylon Burks, their rookie receiver, Granted, he's just a rookie, but he still provides some explosiveness to that passing attack. He's going to be out for this game and uh, potentially moving forward with that turf toe. So it it limits the explosiveness on for Tennessee's passing offense. And going back to the run game with Derrick Henry, Washington, even though it's a four-game sample size, if you take a look back at last season, they were one of the better teams against the run in terms of expected points added defensively and also in terms of uh, success rate defensively against opposing ground attacks. And right now they are uh, allowing the fourth lowest expected points added per carry. And you can go over to thelines.com if you're curious why that metric is important to the betting market and when you're handicapping games. So like I mentioned, if Tennessee can't get going on the ground and this Washington pass rush can get after the quarterback, I think they can actually have some success defensively, even though Fuller in this secondary has underperformed this season when the expectations weren't even that high for, for Washington's defense in terms of the back seven. And then on the flip side of the ball, it's very hard to back Carson Wentz. Mo and I probably caught some breaks in week one against the Jaguars, but you think about Tennessee's secondary and it being pretty much bottom 10 and possibly bottom five in in almost every metric in terms of the important advanced stats that you look at when you're handicapped at a game without Amani Hooker still in concussion protocol likely this week I think uh, even without Dotson the rookie wide receiver for Washington I think Wentz can take advantage uh, of this weaker Tennessee secondary but I'm gonna wait to see if the commanders get up to plus three. I know there's a plus three minus 115 out there right now. I don't hate using Washington as a t- in a teaser leg uh, now that it's at two and a half pretty much at every buck. But I like Washington and I'm going to wait to see if this gets to plus three minus 110. Mo, I know you have some final thoughts here on this one as well before we wrap up today's video. Yeah, I mean, man, been getting punished by Washington. Two straight weeks been oh I've I've been on them every game so far so yeah. 
Guys can't uh, stay away. Two. I'm like, you just talked about it at the beginning of the show, and then here we are again. <laughs> I didn't here, bet them against the Lions. Mo did. Mo did, to be fair. I did. Here we are again, and I think I'm going to have to take plus three as well. Yeah. The first plus three uh, popped this morning, it looks like, or maybe this afternoon. I'm not really sure exactly when um, on DraftKings. I- I'd be careful downgrading, honestly, the Titans. I, I know that the Colts outgained them. I don't think it's relevant. They were just in negative script down three touchdowns. I think it was just two bad teams, which is basically what I said from the start. I don't think the Colts are doing anything particularly well. Jack Leonard's already out again because he's hurt again. I also think Washington looked really, really bad. Uh, I mean, it's been a couple really rough performances from Washington. Carson Wentz has very, very quickly turned back into a pumpkin. And then honestly, even in those, those, positive uh early games he had it was basically mostly second half stuff that being said i just don't think the titans should be laying three on the road here they are not that much better than washington i I, once again i think the look ahead was a good number I, i don't understand why the titans should be getting that much credit either i mean yeah it's a road win but the colts are very bad and they played bad I know there was turnovers in their favor, but I, I think that's honestly just baked into the Colts at this point. They're, Matt Ryan is going to turn the ball over. Um, but yeah, I, I think Washington plus three is is too high. Um, one made way more sense to me. The boys are ready for some more pain this week. (laughs) Just kidding. I hope it goes well for you guys. As always, good luck with your bets this weekend. And thanks for tuning in. Remember, we're all going to be back on Thursday this week to talk MLB. So make sure you tune in to either Apple Podcasts or to the YouTube video on Thursdays. Thanks for joining us. Visit thelines.com for all of your NFL, MLB, any other sport imaginable you can think betting needs. And we will see you next time.